We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives, but the stories told by Jesus were meant to give us life. His stories were called parables. Well, good morning. I'm so glad to be with you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Melissa Forgy. I serve here as the executive pastor at the table. I get to welcome you this morning. If you are a guest with us, uh, maybe you're logging on for the first time or joining us in person for the first time, we would love to connect with you. You can text WELCOME to 817-755-1668. Um, or if you're watching on our Facebook um, Live, you can message us um, in Messenger, or you can just leave a comment to let us know that you're there. We'd love to connect with you and um, help you get connected here at the table. And I have two very special guests with me this morning. I have Tony DeCourt um, and Matt Forgey, which is my husband, which I just realized we've never done this before. <laughs> and we've been married so long, we just dress like we're about to take a family picture. So, you know. So um, if you walked in this morning, if you're in person, um, you saw walls set up in the lobby and with a bunch of cards and stuff on them. And um, we have so many opportunities here for you to jump in and serve. And all of those are our opportunities with our next generation, our kids and our students. Um, and the Lord is just sending us kids and students every single week. Um, we're just seeing um, more and more kids coming and more and more students coming. And, and really, we have such a unique opportunity as the church um, to really clear the way for people. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. When we serve, we are clearing the way for people to sit down um, and hear the hope of Jesus. So when we can sit down and take a breath and know things are taken care of and they were greeted and welcomed and um, seen, a lot of times that helps alleviate any nervousness about walking into a new place. Um, and then that allows them to hear the message of the gospel. And I asked Matt and Tony to be here today because both of these guys serve in Table Kids um, and have for a long time. Both these dudes went to camp this summer for four days with how many kids? A lot. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> um, so I wanted you to hear. I wanted you to hear from them this morning. Um, I'm gonna back up a little bit so everybody on this side can see you. Um, so y'all, okay, Tony, tell me what a little bit about you. What do you do for a living? Tell me about your people. Oh yeah, okay. So my name is Tony Decourt, and I've been coming to the table here for probably about five years. Mm -hmm. My wife Jennifer and I are both teachers. Uh, she's here in Eagle Mountain, Saginaw District, and I'm at the Northwest uh, Independent School District. But we have two great kids, uh, Keely and Lucy, uh, ages 11 and 8. So they both uh, have gone through the kids' program. So got one there, and one's now in the youth program with Wayne. So, you know, we love it. It's great. Fav Wayne's favorite grade are sixth graders. So oh. ask him about really? that later. Really? That's not what so. I mean. <laughs> Matt. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm Matt Forgey. Um, He's on? Are we on? Is he on? No, he's not on. Got it. I'm Matt Forgey, um, married to you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we also have um, two great kids, Ryan, 15, and Matthew just turned 12. So 
we've been celebrating his birthday all all weekend. But um, uh, I work for a home builder, um, so I have for 16 years been in that industry. Um, so that's been challenging. It's really challenging right now. But um, I don't know. That pretty much sums it up about me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how did you guys end up serving in table kits? Tony, how did you end up serving over Okay, there? well, when we first got to the uh, the table, you know, we uh, sent our kids over there, and we come over here and, and worship and, and, you know, do our thing. And then uh, as the need for substitute teachers came up, we just kind of naturally fit that role, whether that be just here and there once a month or whether that was in the summer when the, the traditional leaders got the summer off. And so we just kind of did that. And I guess about two and a half years ago, we just really had a need for a lot of leaders, and we were just really struggling finding people to lead our kids. And so I just stepped up and said, hey, look, my kids are here. You know, what do you need? And so at the time, you know, Miss Anna was the uh, kids pastor, and so she just said, look, I'll put you to work. So I've been here ever since. And it's been great. I love it. I mean, I really do. It's something to look forward to every week. Yeah. Two girls, and he serves with all the boys. Oh, yeah, so. they're great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you grow up, you know, raising raising the girls, you know, it's a, it's a good change of pace for sure. But, yeah, I mean, they're all great down there. Good. Uh, yeah, so for me, um, previously I had served in table students and then um, probably took a short break, I guess. Um, but each year that we've been able to go to camp, I've gone with Matthew, my son, and I've uh, been able to serve. So that was a really great um, time this year. And... Um, as I, as I started to focus on that, right after that, I realized there was a, a need for more leaders in the, uh, the table kids. So I started showing up on Sunday and serving right alongside Tony. So it's been great. Yeah, camp picture. Camp is not my jam. I would not be a fun camp mom. Uh, but it's Mr. Only, Matt, Camp only, Matt's so fun. It's the only place I feel comfortable doing a slip and slide. So, <laughs> so um, okay, so how, how has working with these kids impacted you, Tony? Oh, gosh, well, just when I first started serving here, uh, seeing my kids come in here and listen to the word of the Lord and have the leaders to show them and, and have the kids come in on Sunday and watch baptisms, it just got them all fired up. And it got me fired up, right? And just to see kids grow in Christ and to come in. And then, of course, you know, the, the ultimate was when my daughter Keely's, you know, started asking questions about what does it mean to be saved? What is baptism? And so it was just a great opportunity. And, you know, the kids, uh, the leaders had the perfect lessons and information for us to, you know, help our daughter along. And then ultimately, you know, she accepted Christ and was baptized down at the lake. And it was just, it was fantastic. And since then, my other one, uh, Lucy, has as well. So, I mean, that's the biggest impact, you know, seeing my own kids, but also as well, you know, with your kids as well, you know, seeing them come together, especially at camp and having kids ask questions and sit down and actually study the Bible. I mean, that, that, was, that was nuts. So uh, to see them take an hour out of their day to, to read about Christ, it was great. So yeah. that's the biggest impact it's made for me. And Tony's been our son's leader for a number of years now. And when Matthew decided that he was ready to be baptized and stuff, he was like, Mr. Tony has to be there. Mr. Tony has to be there. So it's it a pretty big impact. Um, Matt, what, um, what would you say to someone who is like, they're about to ask me to serve and they just start shaking their head and they're all going to run away. What would you say to that person that is like, Oh, I don't know if that's my thing. Uh, well, I've been that person. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, um, 
there's always this opportunity, there's always this need, and um, what I would say is having a relationship with Christ, like we're called to disciple, we're called to serve, and so for me, it's like, I can get plugged into a serve Sunday easy, right? That's my, um, that's my area, and um, I can relate to other guys who work in construction and do that kind of thing and stuff like that, but um, kind of to, to Tony's deal, like when, um, when the kids are learning, uh, and, and you ask them the questions after church, um, you know, to me, you got to, um, you got to understand and be able to teach them as well after church. Cause it's not just what goes on here on Sundays. And so like, if you don't know, I think that's a great opportunity to learn yourself. Um, you know, you don't have to be, um, some, some scholar with the Bible and that kind of deal, you're going to, you know, you're going to get a lesson or you're going to serve alongside of somebody who has a lesson and kind of leads the way and, and you're just there to support. Right. And if there is a, a you know, a, a question that you can answer or something like that, um, I don't know, it just provides the opportunity. So, um, it, it's, it's not a huge deal. It's nothing to be intimidated by or anything like that. You just, you just answer the calling on your life because we're called to be disciples. We're called to serve. And, and so for me with kids and that kind of deal, it's, it's important that, that they see me doing that as well. So. That's good. Tony, um, what, would you, what would you say just as a dad, as a guy, like what do you think is the most significant um, or an important aspect of you serving over at Table Kids? Well, guys, I mentioned earlier, just, you know, we're all here to, um, you know, help our kids reach Christ. You know, that, that's the biggest deal right there. Uh, serving the kids is, is so much fun. You just have to like kids. You don't, like, you know, Matt said, you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to have a degree in education. You just have to have the willingness to serve. And, and so I think as a dad, I think, you know, we set the example. You know, we're the spiritual leaders of the household, and I think we have a, a duty and obligation to come up here every Sunday and, you know, have our kids engaged and then to serve and help out if that's needed. And I think when dads step up to the plate and do that, I mean, that's, that's incredible. You know, mm -hmm. it just shows leadership, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's a great model. So anything else, Mr. Matt? Um, no, you know, our kids are our leaders of tomorrow, and so it is our responsibility to teach them and show them what it is to be Christ-like, what it is to serve, and what it is to be a discipler. Um, and, and, and so they can then go and, and grow and disciple and grow in their relationship with the Lord. So yeah. it's very important. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you guys for being here. Um, can you guys give them a round of applause? Say thank you. So thanks, y'all. Um, you know, I, they, you know, Tony has made a huge impact on our son. Um, and so that um, is something that has just been blessing, bless our family. It's eternal work. And we're just super grateful for you guys. And um, I think it's so important that we take all of our kids that the Lord is giving us personally. Um, I reserve the right to wag my finger at your kids. Sorry, they're my kids too, you know. Like the, we, we have to take them personally. And, and that's what people that are serving your kids and the kids in this community and the kids that the Lord is sending us are doing. They're, they're taking their eternally, eternities personally. Um, kids need that. There are specific studies that have shown us how much kids need two to three adults outside of their, you know, main caregivers to pour into them. Um, because this, I have a tween and a teenager. They don't care what I have to say. 
okay? But if Wayne says it, or Kat says it, or Lizzie says it, or Nancy says it, or, you know, like Dana, whoever it is, Tony says it, it's like, oh, well, Mr. I've been saying that for three years, but Mr. Tony says it, and now we're doing it, right? But, like, we need people to invest in our kids and take their eternities personally. And, you know, Matt and Tony don't have to. Um, they don't have to do this. Um, but as disciples, we are called to be disciple makers, um, so we are called to raise up the next generation of disciples. And Jesus, it, you know, it, it's so interesting when you get to know who Jesus is. He elevated children in such a different way in his day and culture. When in his day and culture, they were kind of just like the secondary. We see in Scripture um, the disciples trying to keep kids away from Jesus because they were going to bother him. And he said, no. Do not stop them from coming to me. They will inherit the kingdom. We are called to have childlike faith. In a culture that did not value children, Jesus elevated them and valued them. And I think that's what we are called to do. And this week has been really hard in this community. You guys have probably heard about the horrific car accident that took the life of two students, two brothers um, from Boz, and then the um, mother who is fighting for her life in ICU. And it happened on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, we have over 100, 150 kids here every single Wednesday night for our student program. And I watched Wayne and Kat and Lizzie and Matt and Nancy and Ronaldo and George, like, love these kids I just was like thanking the Lord for those adults. I've been in those circles as an adult when a kid dies at school. It is so hard for these kids to process. And they were finding out about it as they were walking through the door. And they were just sitting with these kids and just loving them and crying with them and praying with them. Wayne went to a vigil, and he, I know he's been getting text messages and, and calls about where kids are since then. It was just... This was their safe place because someone knew them. Someone had been showing up for them consistently, and that's what they need. They need to know you will show up. That's how you build trust. Show up, show up, show up, show up, show up, show up. And they may ignore you for the hundred times, and then 101, here you are as a person that they need. That's what it does when we're building bridges and I get frustrated um, when I hear adults talk about the next generation. <laughs> Matt was going to bring up this TikTok challenge. I said, don't bring that up. Don't bring that up. But then I, I'm going to bring it up now. There's like a TikTok challenge and kids are being crazy and all this stuff. And parent, adults are like, oh, this generation is just a mess. And blah, blah, blah. Listen, we're raising them. Okay? We're raising them. We're the parents. <laughs> we're the adults. We're the ones they're looking at. Okay? So it's not about them. It's about us a little bit. But it's so easy to, to, to pass that off. And I don't see that. I see kids who are longing for truth. I see kids who are longing for identity. I see kids that are longing for adults to be present in their life, to show up for them over and over and over. And it doesn't mean we're having these deep intellectual conversations. You know what I do on Wednesday nights? I load my car up with kids. I make sure they get Chick-fil-A, and I bring them to church. That's how I show up every single Wednesday. They know that I'm going to show up, pull up, take them to church get food, and take them to church. That's how I show up. And then maybe, just maybe, I've earned a place to have a conversation with them. But they know they can count on me. And I know that 
little ones, big ones, whatever you're, <laughs> whatever it is, they're scary, they can be intimidating, they're weird, they are, they smell, I know, I don't know why, I don't know, we have all the deodorant, all the soap, we still smell, I don't know what it is. So, like, it's not easy, but it calls, we're called as disciples to be courageous, so to do things in spite of our fear, to be courageous in stepping out of our comfort zones, it's not supposed to be comfortable, it's not supposed to be easy, this life following Christ isn't that, we're supposed to build bridges into these kids' lives by showing up consistently to live out the mission of Christ to make disciples and let that drive us and point us to understanding that this is not about us. If we know the Lord, this life is not about us. It is about reaching back and bringing people with us. That's what this life is about, to build a bridge, to be courageous and, you know, I got a call from Brandy Bookmiller, our new kids pastor, last night, 9.30. Melissa, we are in bad shape in kids. And I, I was like, I don't know if I want to bring this up, but it's, we have close to 75, 80, 100 kids every Sunday morning, okay? We have 12 regular committed volunteers. 12 that say yes every single Sunday. Tony has said yes every single Sunday since I don't even know. Our goal is to have people working two weeks on, two weeks off, serving two weeks on, two weeks off every single month. Jolene, Heather, Jeff, all these, they show up every single Sunday, every Sunday. Ran a marathon, shows up. You know what I mean? Like, that's not okay with me. Because we can't say, oh, these kids are a mess. This generation's on us. It's about us stepping up as the people who are guiding and showing and modeling we're asking you to say yes. That's what those cards are out there for, to say yes. And I know it's super uncomfortable. This is like uh, when you ride Southwest Airlines, and they're like, please move in, scoot in, and everybody looking down. I get it, okay? I feel it in the air, okay? But we have to talk about it, because these are our kids. These are your kids. Two hours a month. Serve and a service, attend a service. Hour and a half on Wednesday nights. Maybe in the epicenter. We have 100-plus kids. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays come to the epicenter. It's about to open to have a safe place to go after school. How many of y'all got in trouble after school? I know I did. I found all the trouble after school. They come over. They walk across the street. They get a snack. They say hello. They hang out. They play games. They're cared for. They're seen. They're loved. Two hours on a Tuesday. Two hours on a Wednesday. Two hours on a Thursday. When we break down our time, it's easy to get selfish when we say, I have all these things. I get it. I work full-time. I got kids going on. All I do is Uber, Uber Eats. I'm taking kids everywhere. I don't have a lot of time. But whose responsibility is it if it's not the church's? This is our responsibility, these kids. And we're asking you to say yes. Twelve committed volunteers is not enough. It's not enough. We should be all in on these kids, y'all. We should be all in on these students. What is happening in our students is a revival. If you do not know what's happening on Wednesday nights, you need to pick your head up and walk in here on Wednesday nights. Peek in. See what's happening. We have more kids and students serving over there right now than we do adults. There is something happening in our students, and it's important. And I want you to see the value and the opportunity you have because Jesus said they're worth it. So we got to live it out. So I just, I implore you, I want to take time this morning to talk about that. We're going to get into our message. I'm going to talk really fast this morning. Um, but I just, I want to pray before we get into the parables that we're looking at for us as a church to rise up, meet the need, 
Don't let another kid go unseen, unknown here. We're going to step up and serve. Okay, we're going to do it joyfully because Jesus calls us to that as disciple makers. We can't look away. Pray with me. Lord, I just, I thank you for Matt and Tony. I thank you for Jolene and Heather and Jeff and Chris and uh, all, Lizzie and um, so many volunteers. I'm forgetting all of their names right now. The Davenports and the Yeses and uh, Brooke and Kaylee. I just, I thank you for all of those leaders at Table Kids. I thank you for all of the leaders at Table Students that are investing in the lives of our kids, helping them know who Jesus is and who Jesus is calling them to be, Lord. May that be a fire in our bones, Lord, to lead the next generation, not on our watch, be our mantra. Not on our watch. We're not going to lose a generation of kids to the world. We are going to bring them in, grow them up, and send them out as passionate disciples of Christ to go and be disciple makers themselves, Lord. Help us fill that role and hear that charge. And it's in your name we pray this morning. Amen. So we are in Luke chapter 18. We're looking, continuing the parables of Jesus. And I think that it's so interesting when we think of parables, there are lessons, stories with a lesson. And this was a very common way that rabbis in Jesus' day taught lessons. Um, and I have um, a Bible professor that I follow, and she's my best friend. She doesn't know it, but we're, like, we're friends, you know. But um, I look up to her. I listen to her a lot, and she, she shares a lot about this um, teaching of, of parables, that one-third of Jesus' words that we are recorded in the Gospels are parables, are stories. So we know how stories impact people. Um, and she, as she goes through the roots and the meanings of words, and that these parables are always comparing and con contrasting things. And the point of a Jewish parable is to drive us to a decision. That's the point of these parables. It's to provoke us to be actionable in our faith. And so today we're going to be in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind us. It'll be in the YouVersion Bible app. Um, or if you have your Bible, you can, you can turn there. So we're going we're gonna, to um, read this and then kind of chew it up in little pieces. So uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will, God, will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I think there's some interesting things that we read here. Um, but from the jump, Jesus gives us the decision or the action. Don't give up. Keep praying. And he doesn't normally do that. He kind of makes us dig for it in a lot of places. But he's giving us the answer. He doesn't want us to miss the point here, because he um, is talking about the days in the chapter before where he will not be here and the disciples will be discouraged and they will feel rejected and they will be alone. Jesus is telling them, this is what's coming. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep praying because you're going to want to give up 
And he's telling them right now what the action and the decision is. And here's something else that's so amazing that I love about Jesus, and it makes me fall in love with Jesus more and more every time I read these examples, is that he is using a widow, a widow, a widow woman. Um, in the, the day of Jesus' teaching, women were not considered, um, did not have rights. They were considered unreliable. They couldn't go in front of and testify in their own divorce hearings. They couldn't even get a divorce. They could be divorced for any reason. They had no say, no power, couldn't sit under theological teaching, excluded um, from any type of uh, power, control, influence. They were never used in faith teaching by the rabbis in Jesus' day. But yet we see over and over, over 20 times in Scripture, Jesus using parables he always shares a story in the feminine and in the masculine, which I think is so unique that he was revolutionary in Jesus' day. Him talking about the, the women and using them as examples in his teaching was just not done. And especially a widow woman. This is like the least powerful, the least person that he could use. So people were leaning in, listening to this teaching. He was clearly communicating the importance and the value of women to his kingdom and to his ministry, which is so beautiful. And so why, why did he use this story about prayer? Because there are lots and lots of examples in Scripture about steadfast, consistent prayer, right? Moses, Joe, we have stories in Nehemiah. I mean, there's people who have who giants of our faith that people would easily recognize and know as Jesus is teaching. He is teaching this. Why is he not using these recognizable names and stories? There's so many powerful examples, and yet he uses a widow. And so this widow is going to a judge alone, which means she is alone alone. No one else in the world. She has no husband, obviously. No son, no father, no uncle, no cousin, brother, nothing. No one to go with her. No one to give her covering in this day and age, which was the norm. So her being able to get in front of this judge made her extremely vulnerable. She was utterly alone, the lowest on the rung of society. So the least powerful in their cultural context. And she is having this major injustice in her life. And she is all over this judge, which I love it. Just all over him. I just like have a vision of like my grandma. My grandma was like this big. And she lived in downtown San Francisco. And she drove the prison bus to church. And these big old guys would get on the bus. And she's just, sit down, behave. And they just all listen to her. That's how, that's like I see, this is what I see my grandmother in this story, right? And so here's this judge. He doesn't love God, doesn't fear God or love people, which the Jews were taught this over and over and over, to love your neighbor and to fear God. And this is what motivated them. And he could care less about either. And here he was, someone who was lacking the basic care, understanding, or empathy or anything, standing toe-to-toe with a least powerful, annoying, persistent widow. I can just see her looking up at him. My grandma's little, looking up at him, wagging her finger. Just have this imagery in my head, and I love it. And he's, she's wearing him out. He says, she is beating me down, okay? It's like that actually means to give a black eye. So maybe it was his reputation because she's just falling around the market, hollering at him, getting his face. Maybe she was 
knock him around a little bit. I don't know, you know, like, I mean, maybe it's a literal black eye, but this means to give a black eye. I can just see her being outside of his house and following the market, when he's leaving work, when he's going home, and she is just on him, begging for the justice that she deserves. And again, Jesus is giving us this actionable thing, decision to pray and not give up. But there's more here because we can read that as, oh, okay, well, if I just pray and I bug God enough, he'll just give me what I want. I don't, I don't think that's what we're, exactly what we're seeing here. There's a couple takeaways. Persistent prayer is more about our dependence than our desire. Many times we go to the Lord in prayer because of a desire of our heart, which is what he, he tells us to do that, right? But persistent prayer, crying out, over and over and over and over shows us more about our dependence on God than the need or the desire that we have. A lot of times we go to prayer and we're disappointed and we pray, oh, Lord, help me, help me, help me one time, and then he doesn't. We're like, oh, where's God? Is he even listening? And we just give up and move on. God's not there. He's not going to do it. And we begin to forget the promises that he makes for justice. He promises to bring justice. It's just in his timing and in his will. What the parable is saying is that persistent prayer brings us over and over and over again back to the feet of Jesus and dependence. Saying, Lord, I come to you. I rely on you. I believe in your promises, Father. I believe that I will experience justice. Lord, your will, not mine, be done. Persistent prayer puts us in a posture. I just, I just see this posture of us laying just like face down, praying and crying out to God over and over and over. Trusting in his promises and his truth. He promises from the start, which is interesting, to continue to pray, pray and not give up. He makes no promise that we will get the answer that we are looking for. He just says, keep praying. Persistence and tenacity, tenacity, endurance comes with overcoming resistance, right? Overcoming resistance. And in this parable, we can read that it means that God is the resistance. God is what we have to overcome. No, I think it's us. I think it's our willingness to sit in prayer. I think it's our willingness to be in prayer in front of him and go back time and time again, believing that God's will will be done in our life. We get distracted. We have doubts. We struggle. We lose faith. Our resistance, the tenacity of our faith is based on how, how much are we sitting at the feet of Jesus crying out to him. It builds a strong faith. Persistent prayer is reflective of a persistent faith. Not a faith that is, you know, one that doesn't wrestle. I think we wrestle in our faith but it's persistently going to the Lord, wrestling those things. And I think the other thing is prayer changes things. Look at what one widow did. The least powerful, the least influential, upended this judge. She got this judge to do something he's probably never, ever done, is grant power and influence and justice to a widow that he didn't even think deserves it. That's just one person. How powerful would the collective be in prayer? Verse 7 says, 
Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? He's, that's a plural statement. His people. Will he not grant justice to his people? Will he not be faithful to them? The collective prayers are powerful. He is promising swift justice for those who call on him. I was listening to something the other day, and a question is, if the condition of your marriage was solely based on the condition of your prayer life, what would it look like? If the condition of our church was solely based on the collective prayer life of our people, what would it look like? That's kind of like a, ooh, that makes you an uncomfortable question. Because some of us struggle to be persistent in prayer. But then what if we, as a church, begin to persistently pray for God to bring us new kids, new students, new families, new leaders, not to just fill a building, but because every single seat in that building represents a soul, represents a family that could be changed, saved, redeemed. Are we a prayerful people? We have a prayer team. I know Luana and Andy are in here, and they lead the prayer team, and they're so faithful in praying, and Linda's in here, and we have a number of people who are on our prayer team. But isn't that a team everybody makes? Shouldn't we all just be face down praying, praying for God to do something in this community? Listen, I know Wayne and Shaylee Pimpton have been praying for our students since the jump they started here, praying for revival. I'm seeing that on Wednesday nights. Two people praying consistently, persistently for revival. We have student after student after student coming to faith. We're baptizing another kid in the next service. Something is happening because of the prayers of people saying, I want revival in our next generation. I want to see our next generation rise up, be leaders of the church, make disciples, and go out into their schools and their communities and make a difference. Two people praying persistently, and we're seeing revival. What happens if we all do it? That we raise up the next generation Right here, right now, we begin to pray that over and over and over. What happens? What is a collective? God is promising, will he not answer for his people? What if we began to pray, all of us who call the table home, for every single home in a five-mile radius of this church? Every single home. We don't have to know their names. We don't have to know the addresses. We don't have to know street names. We need to put in our mind five-mile radius, and we start praying collectively for that. What happens here and in this community? What happens in our schools? What happens in our workplaces? What happens in this church? Radical, radical things could happen. I can tell you that two things that I pray for consistently in this church is for the Lord to raise up disciple makers and disciples, radical disciple makers that will carry the torch anywhere they go to, um, to, to make the name of Jesus great, and for us to be tangible lifelines to our community by insanely meeting needs with crazy, extraordinary generosity. This a couple weeks ago, we were made aware of a student of ours who has been through it, been through a lot. She was needing a laptop. Put it on social media. Hey, we have a kid that needs a laptop. Within an hour, we had a laptop in her hands. Within an hour. 
said, hey, this kid, the same kid who is fighting for her future, fighting for her success, she's working, she is trying to get back to school, she needs a car, hey, can we raise some money? We, got, we, have, we have 28 days to raise money to get her a car. We want to raise 4200 bucks. Eight days in, $4,200 met. Crazy generosity. Crazy. Ge- Some of y'all will never know who this kid is. Never know her. What a life-changing gift, lifeline that is. Crazy generosity. What if we pray for every empty chair in this room, every space in this complex? Because it is a soul. It's not numerical growth. It's making heaven crowded. What if we begin to pray these crazy prayers over and over and over? What could God do through us? I don't know. But he's already done them. And we live in the promise that he will continue to do it. And three, prayer is where our relationship grows roots. Matt and I have a funny joke about the trees on our farm. (laughs) Every time Matt plants a tree, for some reason, it ends up like this. I don't know why. Every tree. Like, it's like a joke now. It's like, if, I, if you ever plant a tree, you know, when I die, it's going to be crooked. You all know that's, that's a tree for me, right? Like, I mean, it's going to, like, that, it's just a running joke. But I will tell you, that crepe myrtle, it survives every storm. That sucker's not going anywhere. I mean, it is totally leaning, and it will not go anywhere. And the roots are deep. <laughs> um, that's what prayer does. It grows our roots it develops a relationship with God, and that's, that's where we spend time in front of him, and we, we, we get to know him, and we cry out to him, and we, we share what we're going through and what we're struggling with, and these roots, they grow. It's just like any other relationship. Are you going to want to marry someone you've never talked to? I know it's a reality show, but uh, weird, okay? But like, you know, like how is that relationship going to go when I've never talked to you, but I'm going to marry you? I'm going to be in life, the rest of my life with you. Not deep roots. That's where our roots grow. So when something does happen, when a wreck does happen, when something bad happens, when hard happens, we have the roots to withstand it because we know exactly where we go in those moments. We go right to the feet of Jesus. We get on our faces again and we call out to him again over and over and over. You don't marry someone after two conversations. Sure don't want to share a bathroom with them. Like, we have to get to know them and nurture that relationship. And it takes time and patience and intentionality. And that's what we do when we develop deep, sustaining roots. It's the conversation Matt and I spent getting to know each other helped us build a foundation that sustains us when life tries to take us out. Because it does. Or we start to believe lies or whatever it is. Those roots. Verse 1 says, pray and don't give up. There are no promises here that you will get everything you ask for. There's no promises there. But as a good judge and a good father and a good savior, we see the promise that, hey, he will give us justice. He will redeem us. He will sustain us. We just got to keep going. I think the most powerful verse is the last one. When I come, will I find faith here? Y'all going to keep going? That's what he's asking. You guys going to keep fighting? Are you going to quit? 
persistent prayer develops persistent faith. And persistent faith is rooted in the promises that Scripture tells us that we know justice will be served. We know there will be a time where there will be no disappointment, no more death, no more tears, no more sadness. We know that he loves us and he hears us. One widow upended a judge. He hears. He is good. We just have to keep hanging on, praying, fighting, and not giving up. Pray with me. Lord, a lot of us walk in feeling very, very heavy today. There's a lot happening, just in, even just in our community, Lord. But in the world, a lot of us are struggling, and it feels like you are quiet or distant. Lord, help us be reminded that prayer is more about our dependence on you. Are we depending on you? Are we seeking your will? Are we seeking your comfort, your peace, your understanding, your wisdom? Help us keep coming back to you over and over and over, believing in the truth that you will bring justice, that you will set all things right, all things back to your intention, Lord. Our job is to keep fighting. Keep seeking. Keep living this life set out on mission for you. And Lord, I pray that our church continues to meet every need with just crazy, radical generosity. That every kid will be seen and known and loved. And we will have the capacity to see and know even more of the next generation, Lord. May that be our collective prayer. That we see a crazy revival of kids that are being raised up to know you and lead the church. Lord, we love you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.